0: Inside the Game, brought to you by Radar Media. Good evening, welcome to another episode of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. It is the Dakar Rally, stage eight done and dusted, four to go. And uh, we're edging our way closer to the finish line uh, over in Riyadh. Today was uh, a tough one, so to speak. Um, for all involved, Wadi Al Dawasir to sorry Wadi Al Dawasir to Wadi Al Dawasir. Uh, didn't have to travel too far today. Uh, the competitors either had to, and um, yeah, it turned out to be extremely challenging. And in the end, it was a superb result for one Fernando Alonso, who went on to claim his best ever finish in a in a very fledgling Dakar career. It's only uh, eight stages long so far, but man, this guy just keeps on getting better and better. But uh, We'll uh, catch up with that shortly. Uh, First, a big thank you to the guys joining me once again. Voldu van der Waal. And uh, we do have our very own Andrew Mulligan. And uh, yeah, it's a fairly late evening uh, over in Hawaii. So yeah, it's going to be kept pretty short. We've been working throughout the day. Uh, but Voldu, what a day for Toyota Gazoo Racing. It's
1: certainly been a good one. The sort of stage that we really needed and that we've been looking for for a long time. You know, we've been expecting sand and dunes and technical driving and finally some of it has arrived. Uh, Yesterday, before the stage started, uh, the report started coming through that today's stage would contain a 40-kilometer long straight, which it did. Um, Initially, everybody was um, scared. I almost said skate shitless because that's the sort of distance and type of thing that's really been giving us a hiding to nothing. But um, with the improved aero packages and some uh, crafty driving in the more tricky sections, uh, our crews
0: certainly didn't just keep up with the guys ahead of them, but they beat them. Yeah, it was a game changer today. We caught up with Glenn Hall this morning during the stage. It was still early days as far as the results were concerned. And we're obviously tracking things uh, via the website and via uh, his own intel. But it it was looking good. And, and we saw that Carlos Sainz, who is the overall leader, had had lost time significantly. And we didn't know what the story was. It, it got lost or, or was he stuck? Uh, it turned out that he did get stuck. Um, Nasser Latia also had problems. But the most important part was that Nasser uh, finished almost four minutes ahead of Sainz at the end.
1: In the end, we need to close that gap to to Carlos. That really is the main goal at this point, um, the obvious goal. And that's exactly what he attained. He set out to... to Grab a bit more, and for a while there, it looked like Nasser was really going to close the gap down to about two or three minutes, which would really have put us right on his tail. Um, we didn't quite get there, but still, the gap closed quite a lot, and um, it certainly means that we're um, right back in the game with Nasser in second position overall.
0: Yeah, great performance from NASA. Uh, he wasn't entirely happy with it, but he admitted that it was extremely difficult to start because, as we spoke about it this morning on, on the previous episode, was the fact. Following the, the very untimely death of uh, Paolo uh, on the motorbikes a day earlier, uh, Consalves, uh, it meant that the bike stage was cancelled today. And because of that, the cars had to open the road. And that fell in the hands of Carlo Sainz. Uh, and that didn't quite work out because suddenly Nasser was in front and, and he was setting the tracks.
1: Yeah, with Carlos getting stuck early in the stage, uh, Nasser and Matthew had to find the way for themselves, and you could see on the on the um, timing coming through how they were losing time, hand over first, and then the king of the dunes himself, uh, <laughs> Nasser Alatiam, the man born on sand, got stuck, um, and he lost about uh, three minutes or so waiting to or trying to get his Hilux unstuck, and that, of course, meant that the rest of the chasing pack caught up to them, and the result was that we had four or five cars completing the stage
0: together, which... Uh, brought us some of the most spectacular imagery that we've seen yet on this race. Well, we've got Andrew Mulligan here, and he's a Dakar rookie like Fernando Alonso. And he was chatting to our colleague Ray, who's currently putting together the show on Supersport as we speak. Hopefully he'll join us a, a little, in a little while. But uh, he was telling Mulligan that he hasn't seen flat-out racing like he had today in a long time, Manny. I mean, you saw the shots. They were highly impressive. You had uh, four or five cars driving almost abreast, um, in this vast expanse of desert terrain. Uh, you don't see that every day.
2: No, that's probably the first time I've ever seen so many cars stuck together. Um, that only ever happens when they really get lost all together and end up coming back together behind a mountain or something like that. But to see them all racing together and catching each other was pretty impressive for uh, for shots-wise. It, it really, really is impressive. But... Uh, yeah, that once you're together like that, then uh, that's how it pretty much stays to the end of the stage, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, the, the nice thing about today, particularly from a Toyota Gazoo perspective, and Glenn mentioned this this morning, was we expected the worst in terms of the type of uh, route it would be because Daniel alluded to it yesterday in that he said today was expected to be the fast one. Now, we spoke about the 40k stretch where it was just flat taps, but apart from that, it was extremely technical. And I think it caught the drivers and navigators by surprise, given the fact that they were told something else for yesterday's stage, and that wasn't the case. It was boring, as most of the drivers kept on saying. This day, Um, yeah, it was anything but boring.
1: Yeah, I think the, 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 it was a nice surprise for the guys as well. Because, you know, the, just to go slog day after day and see the minis open up a bigger and bigger gap is, is demoralizing for the team as well. And especially when there's nothing that you're doing wrong, but the car just doesn't have the top speed to compete. You know, then, then you literally see the, the, the race move away from you. Whereas today it was the opposite. We expected the worst, and suddenly the race was moving back towards us, which is exactly what we needed now four stages to go and in with a shout.
0: Why are the minis so much quicker over flat terrain where they just need to go full out?
1: It really is a combination of things that give them the edge. The biggest thing is, of course, the size of the air restrictor, the air intake restrictor that governs how much air goes into the engine. More air, more combustion, more power output. It's as simple as that. It really is. But at the same time, they have fewer wheels to drive, so there's less friction. They have much bigger wheels and tires that, that tend to float better over the um, the soft sand. So, you know, if you add all of those things together, also the fact that they don't look anything like a Mini whatsoever, they really just build to be slippery things that cut through the air, you know, add that big wheels, good suspension, more air going into the engine, it's not a surprise, you know, and, and the, the differences are vast. We're talking twenty. Up to 30 kilometers an hour difference in top end between alcohol and theirs. Add that up over a 40 kilometer straight, and you can understand why we
0: lose time. So Nasa Alatia coming in in 11th position today in the stand. She was 15 minutes and 55 seconds off the pace, uh, but As we spoke about, the most important fact uh, from Toyota Gazoo Racing's concern is that he finished ahead of Carlos Sainz, Sainz almost 20 minutes off the pace. The stage was won by uh, Mathieu Serradori from France, uh, from Century, uh, and that was another massive coup for South Africa.
1: Absolutely, it's always nice to find the South African story to uh, cheer about. And Matthew Ceradore doesn't sound very South African. It's because he isn't. Uh, like you said, he's from France. But the car he's driving is very much from South Africa, built by Century Racing um, by uh, Julian and his guys in a, in a workshop not too far from Glen, actually. Um, a two wheel drive buggy. It's uh, you know it's uh, an evolution of the CR4 and five and so on. It's been around for years and been developed actively. Um, and refined into the CR6 that we see at the moment. Uh, owner of the Century Outfit, Mark Corbett, came out to uh, to uh, Saudi to come and see the car race. He, him, he came out with two with his two boys just for a couple of days and they were fortunate to be here to see their car take its first ever stage victory on a, on a Dakar Rally. What a moment.
0: Yeah, what timing as well. Uh, great to see Mark Corbett yesterday and that was while we were rescuing a, a number of uh, media 4x4s who tried their best to navigate the very, very, very soft sand uh, and and pretty much everyone failed uh, and we managed to get them out. And while we're doing so, uh, boiling pots and pots of coffee. So it was great to have Mark on board as a guest with him and his two sons. Uh, we managed to uh, wine and dine them, so to speak. Definitely not wine, but uh, definitely caffeine them <laughs> yeah. um, uh, in the dunes uh, on our way to uh, the end of stage seven. But yeah, a, a very good day for Toyota Gazoo Racing. Uh, this is what Nasser Alatia had to say to me once he got back into the bivouac.
3: Yeah, actually, it yes, was uh, not a bad day for us, but it was uh, really uh, uh, tricky and a uh, lot of sand uh, dunes, soft and uh, yeah, we tried to do our best, you know, but okay, the last uh, 150 uh, we opened the, the way again and it was, I know I will lose uh, time in the dune because there is uh, no mark, no bike, nothing, you know. But OK, uh, I think we did really uh, good job, and, uh, and I am quite happy. Still, we have four days, and tomorrow we'll have a better position. Yes, but we need to watch also. Carlos is behind me. He will start. Uh, yeah, we need to tomorrow to, to have a really big push. Let's
0: talk about that overall gap. Uh, yesterday, 10 minutes, uh, down to 6.40 now, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yes, 6.40, something. Uh, but OK, uh, still a uh, long way. We need to do our uh, really good job for tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, I think we start uh, 11. Yeah, and yeah, we'll see because tomorrow tomorrow's will be a different stage, and uh, we try to to push at least if we can uh, take a good time, you know, and then we can play in uh, marathon day today. I've got to ask about the
0: alterations to the car. Bernard was first to test it out today earlier, but uh, the scoop tape being taken off the roof. Notice any difference to the speed?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit, you know, because here it's a really high-speed uh, track. You know, uh, it's helped a lot uh, from the the speed. Yes, I think this is a, a decision of uh, Mr. Glenn.
0: That was Nasser Alatia closing the gap between himself and Carlos Sainz at uh, the top of the overall standings with four stages to go. Voldu, the big story of the day. However, again, Fernando Alonso. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. On the, on the uh,
1: Dakar app, they have the rankings. And I was looking at the overall rankings, not the stage ranking so much, but when you go into the ranking system, there's a, a badge next to everybody's names. And next to Janil, it says legend. Next to Nasser, it says legend. Next to Fernando, it says rookie. He's in his first Dakar, and he just came second on one of the toughest and longest stages so far in the race, which is absolutely astounding. I think he got out of the car today, and I'm sure we listened to his interview in a little while, but he said that it's only been a couple of months you know, since he started trying the rally-ray driving, getting into the cars, and now he is here mixing it up with
0: the big names. And I don't think he was being arrogant. I think he was, he was just as surprised as anybody else. Yeah, he came out of that car with a massive smile on his face, and rightly so, and he's been doing that a lot over the last couple of days, and we speak about it a lot during our drives, we talk about the various competitors for You of course, they've got four Hilux's in the mix, and you take away that second stage disaster for Alonso, where they lost hours because of a lost wheel, and suddenly... The overall picture would look a lot, lot better as far as he's concerned. Uh, already he's jumping up um, two, three places at a time at, as each day goes by. I think, where, where is he at now?
1: 13th? He's up to 13th and if we took away two hours and some change for that uh, mishap in stage two, he would be within the top ten. He would be just behind Bernard actually in the in the overall standing. So that's good going um, by any measure. Uh, certainly for someone in his first Dakar, you know, and our own Henry de Klerk won uh, Rookie of the Year last year, I think, or was it the year before, actually? And I think he finished 12th um, to finish, uh, to win as Rookie of the Year. Uh, Fernando looks pretty much on to do the same thing, but um, he might well hi- end up
0: higher up on the overall rankings. Well, there are four stages to go for him to do just that. Uh, another uh, unbelievable performance from the Spaniard. And again, I, I managed to get uh, catch up with him as soon as he got back to the bivouac, and this is what he had to say.
4: Yeah, it was unbelievable, you know, to be competitive and uh, uh, have one of these long stages uh, with uh, everything, a lot of dunes as well and, uh, yeah, uh, nearly uh, fighting for the victory was uh, uh, unbelievable and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to believe that a couple of months ago I, I was never in a rally car and now uh, you are fighting with the top guys, so extremely happy.
0: Not only fighting. I mean, you're taking the fight to them. Second for the stage. Only four minutes off the pace. You've climbed up another two positions in the overall rankings. Uh, It's a Dakar dream that just gets better and better each stage.
4: Yes, it gets gets better and better at the moment. You know, there was not... um Uh, downside you know in the last uh, two or three days we've been uh, always constantly climbing in the positions top seven top five top two now so yeah um, you know i cannot ask anything more from from the car from uh, uh, the team from mark you know i think everyone is now uh, uh, with a good momentum and uh, you know we want to to keep going
0: now Just before I got chatting to him, as he stepped out of the car, he was waiting there, and Valdo, we've seen it before, as is usually the case, uh, when Fernando's around, the world's around. Uh, There's media, there's cameras, there's journalists, the works, there's even people parading or pretending to be journalists if you've got a cell phone in your hand you'll try and talk your way into anything and, and, and that's exactly what they do so he's used to hangers-on and people just being around and trying to make conversation ask for selfies etc etc and he's very diplomatic in his way of saying no but while he was standing there Warren nodia who's the crew chief for Fernando's car number 310 came from behind and he tapped Alonso on the shoulder and Alonso probably thought, ah, here's just another guy just saying his hellos. And Warren said, "Uh, well done, but. And Fernando turned around. His eyes went big, massive smile, and he grabbed Warren and gave him a massive, massive hug. And what a lovely moment to see. Because as you tweeted a little later, the relationship between a driver and the crew chief of that car uh, has to be a special one in order to achieve success. You know what I really like about that particular relationship is how
1: down to earth Warren is and always has been and probably always will be. You know, he's a, he's a boy's boy and he just gets on with the job and he doesn't care who drives the car. He does get ups- upset if they break his car because he still thinks of it as his baby. Um, but he doesn't treat Fernando any differently than he would Leroy Poulter or Janil de Villiers or anybody else's car that he's ever worked on. And I think that's what made it such a good relationship from the get-go. Fernando could see that this guy is genuine. He gets on with his job. He looks after the car to the best of his abilities, which are considerable. And, um, and therefore, he's not, he's not a fanboy. He's not a hanger-on. He's got nothing to hide with Fernando. And that, that's given them an amazing relationship
0: um, of, of mutual trust and respect. Well, I had to catch up with both of them regarding that relationship, and this is what they had to say.
2: I'm very proud. eh? For a Formula One driver coming to Dakar, almost winning a stage, that is a big moment. Uh, I mean, I know he's one of the best drivers in the world, but, yeah, he's still a rookie, and he doesn't look like a rookie anymore.
4: (laughs) Yes, definitely. I think uh, everyone in the team, you know, is... uh is extremely proud and happy uh, uh, to each other, you know, because I think uh, some, some days you need to help uh, someone, some other days is, uh, is, um, is coming back to you and especially Warren, you know, from day one. He has been uh, always on my car in all the, you know, the test days and uh, here as well. I damaged the car a couple of times, so he had uh, long nights as well. So I'm very thankful. And, uh, yeah, hopefully these kind of results are uh, a bonus, you know, for everyone in the team.
0: Now, Warren's almost famous in his own right. Uh, Firstly, if you want to see what he looks like, there's actually a video floating around of that exact conversation that we just heard Uh, you can check it out on Toyota Gazoo Racing Essay's Twitter page
1: correct yes it's on there there's also a Telegram channel that we run for those of you who don't know uh, download the Telegram app and just uh, search for the Toyota Gazoo Racing channel and you'll find everything from the race there as well
0: yeah and uh, you can put a face uh, to the name that we are talking about now I I spoke about his uh, other bit of fame Um, he released a video not too long ago while camping I think it was and it was like Hacks that he, he wanted to produce, and he put on this very Afrikaans accent but spoke English. and He advised the viewers on how to hack their way into charging their cell phone. Uh, do you want to elaborate a bit? I don't actually, it's, I find it quite embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that I cringe about when I look at it. But but he's really a little, good little actor, isn't he? He is, and uh, we've been encouraging him to, to put more out purely because of the fact that I don't want him to be remembered for that one yeah I think it can get better um it's about plugging in the two-point plug that you ordinarily use when charging most things actually in SA and using the light bulb fitting next to your bed yeah and I think it's a
1: particularly dangerous one as well <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think let's rather make him famous for being a, a very good Cree chief and at Dakar 2020, Fernando's crew chief. I
2: I certainly wouldn't try it, uh, especially with my track record and uh, injuring myself. uh, I
0: certainly wouldn't try it or recommend it to anyone else to try. Mali, how have you survived so long in this Dakar? Because you are extremely injury prone. Your very first Dakar. I can tell you what, if we were in South America or in Africa, uh, you would probably have lost a leg by now. Luckily, being in Saudi Arabia, are we getting used to the finer things in life?
2: Well, I've been told uh, I've been uh, introduced to Dakar in a very luxurious way this time and uh, everyone has been telling me, oh, Andrew, this is so incredibly easy on this one. Uh, I don't know so much. I'm still finding it pretty tough with two o'clock in the mornings and up at five o'clock in the morning. So uh, lack of sleep is tough, but uh, at least we've been sleeping in some really nice hotels at the
0: same time. I roll my eyes at you. I can see Ray in the corner there thinking, what are you talking about? This is not a Dakar's bum in terms of pain, suffering and torture. Uh, And that's just from the media's perspective. Never mind the drivers and navigators. Um, Just wrapping up the Fernando Alonso story, uh, Janil de Villas, I also asked him about Fernando and he was full of praise for the Spaniard, understandably so. And it went as far back as uh, this very first test that took place in Wolfus Bay uh, at uh, towards the end of 2019.
4: Well, you know, the first time I took him in uh, the dunes in Namibia, um, you know, we, we did 70 k's through there, and he was—he's the only guy that I've taken through there that hasn't been stuck. The first time I took him through there, so then already I knew this. Oak, uh, you know, he's got a very good feeling, and he learns very quickly. So, uh, you know, he just proved it today, being uh, second on the stage—a uh, very good result for it.
0: Lovely words from Kili regarding Fernanda.
1: Yeah, lovely indeed. And and I just wanted to correct you. It goes back to. Gurupan in South Africa was the first test and that, that was also a relationship that was fostered early on because the first guy to give um, Fernando any advice was obviously Janil as we heard and um, and that's just grown uh, like you said later the Walfers the Bay test sessions and so on and, and look at, at where we are now with, with Fernando it's just unbelievable. It's also a little bit unreal still that you know last year at Dakar we had the conversations will it happen will he come and join the team it might it might not the rumors were floating around and then um, I remember very well at the marathon stage when I was banned in Tecna and you guys went off. <laughs> Glenn and I had a long conversation about the possibilities of, of Fernando joining the team. And it was like a, a pipe dream. And he said to me, "Ah, oh, Jesus, China, can't we just finish this race? And then we'll worry about that. We finished the race, won the race. And then the next thing we knew, Fernando was there to test the car. And here we are a year on. Fernando's in the car. He's racing for us. And he just came second on a very, very difficult stage.
0: He did a superb job. I love that story regarding Takna. Valdu banned last year from entering the marathon stage because he was registered as the official media liaison for Toyota Gazoo Racing.
1: Yeah, and this year, when I was introduced to one of the Saudi princes, I had apparently been upgraded to the second in charge of all of Toyota Gazoo Racing, but I think that that was just um, a bit of polish being put on when I was um, introduced to the prince, which was a lovely experience, by the way, Um, and Glenn made it very clear that I have not been promoted, and uh, now he's expecting me to do twice as much work for half the salary, so there we go.
0: And never forget, when we stepped off the plane as we entered Saudi Arabia, myself, Ray, Hannes, and Volder looking for the people who are collecting us uh, to give us the drive to wherever we were going, and uh, there someone was holding up a massive sign that said, Valdu van Dakar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the names just keep on getting upgraded left, right and center, and, and uh, full credit, you, you deserve every title that comes your way, you've done an outstanding job <laughs> uh, keeping the media informed back home and also keeping uh, us riffraff in check. Um, how, how's it been uh, managing to control a, a bigger team this time around, because... Of course, usually it's the awesome foursome and myself, you, Ray, and Hannes. But we've had the likes of Mali uh, joining us, uh, Danny Chen, who we've heard plenty on the show, uh, Ben Constantadouros, who again we often hear from, and Mario D'Souza, who's also been on the show. So uh, everyone's uh, been well, the featured. Th- the
1: team's expanded a lot. But I'll tell you what, looking after my media colleagues is a lot easier than looking after the four racing drivers. Those really are like trying to herd cats. With these guys, it's sort of trying to hurt dogs. <laughs> they at least listen to some commands. But I've got a question for Andrew. Um, having to plow through the footage uh, for the first time, all the DACA footage that we get from the ASO on a daily basis, what's your impression been of the quality of the footage and especially the, the helicopter footage that we get quite a lot of on a daily basis?
2: Yeah, look, the the footage is quite unbelievable coming from the helis. It's uh, obviously some big cine uh, cameras on those choppers, and uh, it's just glorious to look at. Uh, everything's fully steady. There's no uh, major editing that needs to go into the shops or, or stabilizing. So it's quite a pleasure, actually, just being able to to get the footage from them and edit it straight away and uh, and get out some really spectacular footage as well.
1: I think for the, the people that haven't been on the race, just to try and picture... Late afternoon, the bivouac, everybody's working on their cars, people everywhere, and then the helicopters start returning from their various missions. Uh, we counted the other day, there were nine. Uh, uh, squirrels as we know them the the helicopters the what do they call them Airbus helicopters now they were Eurocopters before but it now belongs to Airbus anyway nine of them lined up very very neatly parked and as the the mechanics start working on the cars and so on the, the technicians start working on the helicopters to get them ready for the next day again and then in the background the prince comes in with his valve whatever it's huge
2: super luxurious
1: super luxurious I'm sure you know there's a lot of air traffic around the bivouac which is absolutely spectacular and half of those choppers if not more are only there to get the shots and then they
2: come in and give us a nice dust storm back in the the bivouac when we are trying to edit with all our gear outside and uh, yeah, not nice in that sense but uh, really really impressive to see uh, this caravan getting moved around Uh, I'm quite flabbergasted and uh, everyone had said Dakar's huge when you see this caravan coming and and the helicopters coming in and, and the amount of people that are organizing it and when you actually here
1: it's it's far bigger than what you think it is when you arrive. It's easily the bivouac these days is easily two and a half square kilometers. You know, 500, 500 meters on each side. It is a massive enclosure that gets properly enclosed. There's a the the, the bivouac, the camp part, showers, toilets, the the restaurant to eat in, there's a central area, usually with a fire, and all around that, the crews and mechanics setting up camp and working with their own tents, because they all stay there and so on. It's just a a ginormous machine, and it's so
0: impressive to watch. I remember it used to have three bivouacs, in South America that was certainly the case, where they'd rotate, one, two, three, so you'd have one working, and then the other two would travel, and then that's how that alternates. So it would be one day on, two days off. One day on, two days off. Uh, I, I think that might still be the case. I don't know if you...
1: I'm pretty sure. I haven't actually checked up on it in, in Saudi. Um, you'd expect with something like this week, where we're only traveling two days effectively, because it was from Riyadh to Wadi, and then stayed Wadi two days, and then we moved from Wadi to... Uh, Harad, where we stay for three days uh, because of the marathon stage, which we'll touch on in a future podcast, I'm sure. You know, so maybe they can get away with fewer bivouacs, maybe as few as two in this instance. But certainly last week, um, three would have been the minimum number.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned the Bivouac. Uh, you can actually find a feature on the Bivouac uh, that Ben Duros and Andrew put together. So Ben's been on this podcast plenty, uh, like myself, presenter, producer of the works, and he's been involved with plenty of Dakars in the past. Also a very well-known commentator who you definitely have heard his voice uh, with the TV show that's uh, been covering the Dakar over the last couple of years. And how have you been enjoying it, Mally, yourself and Ben, working together, putting together uh, short videos uh, regarding I- anything and everything Dakar?
2: Well, it's nice to work with a guy that's also got a lot of experience in it as well. Uh, we work really well together and uh, really actually easy easy working with the guy because he understands what he needs. I understand what we need and uh, we really work well together. But um, the two of you today had a, a very different experience and uh, that will be in one of our future um, episodes on Super Sport as well as on the uh, social media video where the two of you uh, got to do a tire change and we tried to break the record there but uh, to
0: no avail unfortunately. Yeah we fell short by just uh, a minute uh, given the <laughs> fact that the record is 57 seconds uh, we're just under two minutes uh, look we, we, we doubled the record put it that way. <laughs> well uh, you can add another minute on because you still didn't
2: get back in the car and strap in but uh, we'll, we'll just quietly forget about that part of it but uh, really
0: good to see it was a really fun piece to shoot and uh, You two looked absolutely knackered afterwards. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, I must admit. And it was Ben's idea. And we tried to shoot it the other day during the rest day. But the guys really actually wanted to rest, especially the mechanics. Didn't want to go haul out the car now and uh, give it to a bunch of guys who are just doing something for TV and, and having a bit of a laugh. And, and full credit to Toyota Gazoo Racing and the mechanics for allowing us to do it. Warren, again, coming to the party. Uh, we, we worked on Fernando's car, trying to change the tyre. Uh, and I say trying, because we really did try. Uh, we achieved it in the end, but uh, a couple of cheat codes, because as you mentioned, I didn't put the seatbelt on, on in the end. I thought, oh, well, it's just a seatbelt. But as Janil alluded to afterwards, it's like, uh, you should have added another minute just for that alone. Absolutely.
1: If you just think about it, we usually, when we watch the timing and and, uh, one of our drivers suddenly lose one and a half to two minutes, we say, oh, it was a flat tire. There's a lot that has to happen for them to manage to to, um, contain their time loss to just one and a half to two minutes. If you think that you don't puncture a tire when you're standing still, you're probably doing whatever racing speed you're doing. So you have to slow down, then get out of the car. The navigator takes the, the nut runner from between his feet where it's uh, mounted to the floor of the car. Well, you should actually talk us through it, Derek, because you had to do it today.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't mounted in the side of the car. I actually put it between my legs because um, that's all I was going to do. So the drivers don't drive with the nut runners uh, between the nuts. Uh, that's not the place that they put it. Um, but, yeah, so I did a, another cheat code there. And, uh, yeah, we had to sit in the car. We count, You gave us a countdown, Andrew and suddenly we're up and out of there, and I say up and out of there, you've got a, a little flick switch on your seatbelt, uh, the straps go flying, and then you've got to jump out the car. I mean, literally, I, I almost had to jump out the car because it's so I'm so enclosed in, because remember, I'm sitting in Mark Comer's seat, who's a little shorter than me, but he's a lot slimmer than me, and I think as it is, he probably struggles to fit in that seat, uh, never mind Fernando's side, and there's no ways I was going to fit into his car, because firstly, it's tiny, and also you've got the steering wheel there, and yeah, we had to jump out. Um, we would worked a system whereby we actually went according to the proper system because apparently the co-driver is in charge of uh, loosening of the nuts and then the driver comes around, gets the spare, does the swap, carries it over and then the co-driver puts the nuts back on and voila. And uh, I say voila! It sounded a lot easier than it was.
2: It's it, it's quite an art actually, because just jumping out of the car, getting through that roll cage is a is a a, a real art in itself. Uh, there's a very specific way in which they do it, and uh, not the way I did it. <laughs> no, and you guys didn't have helmets on either, which I'd imagine would be even harder because your your head is all of a sudden twice the size. So. Uh, it, it was quite comic, uh, to say the least, but uh, I was pretty impressed in which way you guys did it and which way, way you handled it. I mean, even Janil uh, even was quite impressed. He said, well, you know, only a minute over. I'm surprised at how quickly you yeah, guys managed Yeah, but he didn't know it.
1: about all the cheat codes they use. And by the way, just remember that the helmets these days are attached to the back of the seat, uh, including the Hans device as well, to <laughs> minimize neck injuries. So you had to <laughs> let go of the seatbelt and get the Hans att- unattached and, and then get out of the car. So I think you're a long way off. Off the base. And and to add, short time was
2: one
0: fifty seven. <laughs> and I'm to add to ad-
2: that is uh, they've been driving for four hundred k's or two hundred k's, <laughs> jump out and do it, jump back in, and then drive another two hundred k's to the to the race finish. You guys were sitting still and drinking Red Bull and having a chilled out um, day
0: in the bivouac, and jumped into this for two minutes and couldn't breathe after two minutes. Yeah, no, look, I'm under no illusions that uh, what they go through is easy. Uh, it was hell of a tough for us, and yeah, and, and we were in supreme comfort. Look, as in,
1: in Derek's defence, I would just like to point out that I once asked Janil de Villiers to take a picture of myself and Hannes, the first time we were with uh, Fernando, actually, and he barely got us in the frame. So, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts, and not everybody can do the same thing, and we have talents that he definitely, definitely doesn't have. I think we should all stick to our day jobs in the end.
0: Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, another stage done and dusted. Uh, We're into the final third uh, of uh, the 2020 Dakar Rally. It's hard to believe that it's almost coming to an end. Uh, Voldu, talk us through tomorrow's stage.
1: Uh, Tomorrow we move via a very long stage from uh, Wadi al-Dawasir all the way south to Harad. Uh, The total distance of the day is just over 800 kilometers of which half, I think 440 odd kilometers is actual uh, timed racing section, the special stage as it's known. Who knows what we're going to get because the organizers say one thing and what we find out there is something else altogether. So it's a bit of potluck at the moment as, as, um, is the only way to uh, put it. So let's see what the day brings in terms of terrain types, sand, dunes and so on. But certainly it's going to be a long day in the saddle and a massive track for everyone. You know, the drivers have to do their 800 odd kilometers, but the reality is so do we. So it's an early start for us up before the sun and then into the saddle for the entire day just to catch up with them in the bivouac at Harat.
0: Oh, it's a big day tomorrow. Unfortunately, Ray deciding not to join us. He just wants to work all night. Uh, he's putting together the Super Swatch show, which you can catch every evening. Uh, he does a stellar job putting that together, 10-minute, and believe me, it is a lot longer than it sounds, uh, specifically when it uh, comes to actually putting it together. Um, as for your efforts, Mali, uh, where can people catch the videos? It's all based on YouTube and uh, gets shared all over
2: Facebook. It's on uh, the Toyota's uh, YouTube account. Um, So, yeah, go up there. We've got all the stages plus the the rest day, highlights of each day, around about two two to three minutes. So nothing too long to look at, just nice short little insight pieces into the background and and the
0: behind the scenes as well as the racing on the day. And an epic tyre change. Thanks very much, Voldu. Thanks very much, Mully. We'll catch you after Stage 9. Cheers.